0: going to be in trouble, the mean things I do to your sweet children. (sighs) Expectations are a funny thing, aren't they? I mean, if you're expecting watermelon, that lemon is going to taste a whole lot different. Uh, one of our, one of our men. We have a men's group on Monday morning. You're welcome, men. And and it's kind of a jump start on this on this week's message. And uh, one of them was talking as we were talking about expectations. One of them was talking about a situation they had had uh, at some point in the past with somebody that was pretty close to them, somebody they saw a lot that they had loaned a significant amount of money to. And you know where that's going, don't you? And the money that was loaned wasn't paid back, but it wasn't paid. Maybe it could have been paid back because it seemed that there was money for this thing or that thing or, you know, all kinds of other expensive things. Well, if you have money for that, why didn't you have money to pay me back? And it, it created a root of bitterness. It created that lemon expression, right? One of these lemons are for are making funny expressions on our faces. And, uh, this created that, and there came a time when he had just had to. He said he had to let it go. He actually wrote him a note and and talked with him, and he said, "You know that money you owe me, you don't owe it anymore. I I just want to let that go. I just want to forgive that. I am never going to ask you about it again. I'm just going to let it go." He he, he held no longer any expectation that he was going to receive that money back at some point, And that allowed the relationship to be free again. The relationship wasn't burdened by an expectation that the reality was turning out quite different from the expectations. Expectations are funny things. Expectations set us up, and they may, they may disappoint us. There's a proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart grow weak. If our expectations are wrong, if we're expecting something that isn't delivered then we can lose hope in the process. Hope deferred or hope delayed, hope not realized, makes the heart grow weak. Well, Peter, in this, in this first letter, he's giving us exiles expectations. And that's the title that I first um, came up with this week, exiles expectations. If we are chosen outcast, if we are elect exiles dispersed abroad in the world, what ought our expectations to be? And so this week I wanted to take back, uh, I, I wanted to rather step back, and uh, we, we looked at verse 1, we looked at verse 2, and now I want to step back and just look at the, some, some themes that echo through the book as a whole, and then we'll return to going verse by verse through First Peter. So we're going to be in First Peter for a little while, we're going to take our time because this is where we are living. And I wanna I I wanna give time over these next few months. I want to give time for, for, for God by His Spirit through His Word to set our expectations in the right direction. So in the book of First Peter, there's there's a um, there's a couple of, of themes that echo around in in First Peter. One of those reoccurring themes is the theme of hardship or trouble or suffering, trials. Along with those trials and sufferings, there's another theme of, of glory and hope and a future, a glorious calling that is set before us. And, and these two are often put in tension, one against another. So there are these various tensions, uh, two th- different things that seem kind of pulls apart in the book of First Peter. And this idea of suffering and hope is one of those. Peter is writing to exiles, to outcasts, to those who are dispersed in a hostile world. He's telling them two things. Expect opposition and expect vindication. He's telling them to expect suffering and to expect glory. To expect hardship and to, expect, and to have hope. To, to live in the midst of trouble as if you are all, have already triumphed. Remember Jesus' words. In this world you will have tribulation. If they hated me, he said, they will also hate you. And so Paul warned Timothy as he's passing the torch, he said to him, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will have trouble. Now he doesn't say those who act like a jerk will suffer persecution and have trouble. That's true also. But Peter will tell us there's no glory in that. But for suffering for, the, for, for doing right, for doing good, for for following the Lord and yet being troubled because of it. There is glory there. And that's some of what Peter is going to be showing us. He traces a dichotomy, a tension between the two through this letter, themes that are echoing back and forth from chapter to chapter. And that dichotomy of of, uh, trouble and triumph is first seen in Jesus himself. That's the foundation that Peter lays for us. Our life, our reality, where we live needs to not merely be in the midst of trouble. Where we live and how we live then in the midst of this needs to be living in Christ. And so Peter over and over again echoes, or rather founds our experience in the life of Christ himself. I want to turn to some of those as Peter urges us to live this immediate. We're living in the immediate for the ultimate. I want us to see that tension, first suffering and then glory. First trouble, and then triumph. I want us to see that through the book. In fact, I, I chose one verse out of every, every chapter just so you would see that this is a theme through the book. I gave this to you in your notes. The verses are here on the screen as well. I want us to turn to each one of those. So if you're using your own Bible, you've, you've, you've probably found First Peter by now. If you're using the Pew Bible, I'm going to invite you to open the Pew Bible to 1 Peter. You find that towards the end on page 1014. All right? I want us to turn and just look at each of these verses as I read them. And as we enter God's Word, would you join me again in prayer? Father, thank you for your Word. Lord, we ask very simply, would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your Word? And Father, would you speak those things into our lives in the midst of trouble that's going on right now? Father, I know there is trouble in the room. I don't know all of it. There is trouble in the room that I know nothing about, and yet you know all about it. You see it as it is now, and you see into the future. Father, would you speak your truth into our trouble? Would you uh, show us hope, Father, that we might continue to endure well between now and then? We ask that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to follow along. Follow along in your Bibles as I read verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, the prophets are writing, what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when when the Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. You see, sufferings and glory. Chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Turn over there. The stone that the builders rejected, there's the trouble. In that stone that the builders rejected, in that is wrapped the crucifixion. That stone that the builders rejected has become the chief stone of the corner, has become the cornerstone. And Jesus asked them that. He said, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard the psalm? Haven't you heard that it is written, the stone that the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner, the chief stone of the corner. Jesus is the foundation of everything, the one that they rejected, first suffered and then exalted. In chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then in chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, Sufferings and glory. So I exhort, chapter 5, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness. And I think when Peter says witness here, he doesn't simply mean he saw it. He's witnessing, testifying out of his own experience as well. He's a witness, He's he's one who has shared in the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's Peter's perspective. And he wants us to see the present. He wants us to see the trouble. He wants us to see the sufferings in light of coming glory. He wants to set exile's expectations. He wants to tell us there's this challenge, there's this pressure between the immediate and the ultimate. They have a saying in leadership circles that says, never let the urgent crowd out the important. And that can happen in our perspective. That the immediate, because it seems so urgent, it's right in front of us, it's right around us, it presses in on us, the immediate often gets our eyes off of the ultimate, that which is far more important and far more enduring. That tension between the immediate and the ultimate, uh, one of the early church fathers, a disciple of, of, of the apostle John, John Chrysostom. He was called the golden-tongued preacher of Antioch and Constantinople. He describes the Christian as one who gets slapped down, but is none the worse for the slapping. You ever think of yourself that way? One who's slapped down, but you're none the worse for the slapping. Okay? Just keep that in mind next time that you get slapped. The reason is that the Christian view of life, there is always a vital tension between what is immediate and what is ultimate. The immediate which is formed by our present circumstances and our short-term prospects may be sometimes horrific. We may be suffering a job loss, a health crisis, a public scandal, the death of a child, a close friend, or it may be a Job-like combination of disasters. But however bad the immediate, the ultimate is always hopeful. And the tension between the immediate and the ultimate lies the possibility of resilience of faith. You see, faith cannot endure you cannot have resilience of faith if that faith is not tested and pulled and tried it can't be seen for what it is until it is tested and those that's the ground on which we now live our faith is being tested so that the possibility of the resilience of faith can be seen so then we don't choose necessarily the easy road you know, America's good at that, isn't it? Our society's become very good at finding easier ways to do it, less painful ways of anything. We're very good at that. We, we easily will avoid consequences and ramifications, and, and, and we lose sight of the fact, the old adage for exercise, no pain, no gain. You know, I, I, you know, I love to hike. In fact, I, I, I stopped at a yard sale yesterday. I just got a new backpack. Fifteen bucks, I got a pack, and crampons, and and an ice axe, and and, and gators. Some of you don't even know what those are. Anyway, sorry, I digress. I love, one of my favorite places to go backpacking is Indian heaven. And we're driving along to Indian Heaven, and and, and some guys that were following us in the other car, last time we we made this trip, we had to stop and turn around a couple of times because we stayed on the road, and, and and you go up the National Forest Road, and it's a tarred road, it's an asphalt road, nice smooth road for a good long way, and at one point you got to turn off, and it's not such a smooth road anymore. It's a bit of a bumpy road, and instead of turning on the bumpy road, well, we stayed on the smooth road. But the problem is, the smooth road doesn't go to where you're going. Can I put it this way? You cannot get to Indian heaven on the smooth road. If you're going to get to Indian heaven, you've got to take the bumpy road. And Indian heaven then must be like where we're going because it's not an easy road that we're traveling to glory. The old hymn says, it's not an easy road. The bumpy road is the road that goes where you're going. So don't take the easy road. We will have choices. We will be able to avoid. We'll be able to duck down. We'll be able to lie low. We'll be, we, we'll be tempted to, to stay out of the spotlight. Don't draw attention. Don't speak up. Just, just lay low, low profile. Take the easy road. But the easy road is not going where you're going. So don't draw into that temptation to take the easy road. Our Lord said, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would be my follower, if anyone would learn from me, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's not an easy road. But that's the road that goes toward glory. Now, in, uh, in those... In those um, Verses that we were reading, there's, there's, another, there's another aspect to it. In, 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 in chapter 4, we read verse 14. There's another important feature. Let me, let me get back to verse 14. Did we read verse 14? Yes, we did. It said, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's the third piece. There's suffering. Well, suffering's over here. There's glory... And in the midst of that, God is doing something that he alludes to in chapter 4, verse 14. But I want us to now, I want us to back up and just consider that because we're going to unpack a little more fully. You see, Peter's letter is not just theological. It's not just an, ad, uh, uh, an aspect of the of perspective of our mind. It gets very practical. It deals with present holiness in the midst of this hardship toward Toward our future hope. So there's three words I want us to think about all the way through 1 Peter. And that is hardship, holiness, and hope. In fact, it is holiness th- through this present hardship in hope of God's promise. Okay, So keep those in mind. Holiness is worked out in the midst, through the midst of hardship in hope hope is that which is set before us that guides our expectations and and, and draws us and calls us onwards and and tells us to stick to it and and even follow that bumpy road. That that hope that is set before us allows us to endure what is going on in the present. And, And not only to endure it, but to endure it not toward bitterness, not toward a funny expression on our face, but rather to endure it toward God's future what he is working in us that holiness that he is producing you see 1 Peter is not merely a philosophical or theological book 1 Peter is a very practical book let me just give you a list of some of the things that it talks about it talks about personal devotions and church worship it talks about how to function as a citizen in society you know you might be denied things in this society in in the future you might be denied certain rights or privileges that other people have it talks about how to conduct ourselves in the midst of the political debate or tensions, or upheaval. It talks about how to conduct yourself at work, whether you're the boss or toward your boss. It talks about what to do when you're falsely accused or slandered, when you're called a hater, a bigot, a hypocrite. You know, it's interesting. The, the, earliest, the earliest depiction of the crucifixion that we have found archaeologically is probably dated to the 2nd century. The earliest depiction of the crucifixion in Christian circles and it's actually a, a, a bit of graffiti mocking Christians. I'll go ahead and put that up here. Uh, it's it's uh, in very crude Greek. It says underneath it, Alex, we'll just call him Alex. Alex worships his God. And his God is a, is a man on a cross, but with the head of a donkey. And it's mocking this idea that, that the, the cross was a, was a stumbling block. It was foolishness to the Greeks that that glory could be achieved through suffering and death for the sake of others. And so they mocked it. And they mocked those who believed that. But this was found in Rome. And in the next room, when they found these ruins, in the next room was added another inscription in another hand. In fact, it was added in Latin rather than Greek. And it said, Alex is faithful. Alexamonos fidelis. Alex is faithful. You see, there there might be graffiti written over your life right now. There might be scorn piled on. There might be be, um, labels thrown at you, derision cast upon you. But it's God's handwriting that you care about. And what we want to hear is faithful. Well done. In the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the press, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This book's gonna talk about how to relate as husband and wife, whether your spouse is a believer or not. It's gonna talk about harmony as a church. You see, pressure without out there, pressure without there, out there can can also feed conflict inside. It's gonna talk about how to guard our tongue and our closeness to God. It's gonna talk about avoiding temptations and the kind of immorality that'll be rampant in our days. There are many distractions, there are many diversions, there are billboards promising all kinds of things. And Peter will warn us how to, how to avoid temptations, how to manage peer pressure, how to be salt and light, how to be peer pressure in, rather than being driven by it. What to do and what not to do. Should I drink? Should I go to that party? What things will dampen my prayer life? Where should I serve or how should I serve or who should serve in the church? Personal accountability, how to lead others or what do I expect from leaders in the church? In A Stressful Time, Peter even talks about how do we manage stress. It's a very practical book. Peter centers not on the pressure we endure, but he centers on the way that we respond. He says, you're going to have trouble, but how do we respond to the trouble? That's how does God work his holiness through this hardship in hope? Peter urges us, let hardship Let this hardship that we endure be the ground upon which holiness grows. Now, how will holiness grow? Let this hardship be the ground upon which holiness grows in hope. These practical matters are all issues of holiness. All of these things, that's what holiness looks like. How we live out life in relationship to one another, that's where God's likeness is seen. We're going to go back through the book again. We got we got time for that. We're going to go through the book again, and we're and, and we're going to pause out. We're going to we're going to choose again five passages, one in each chapter, and I'm going to pause in our, my reading. And I want you to holler out. Go ahead and shout out. You can shout in church today. I want you to I want you to respond. Is this hardship? Is it holiness? Or is it hope? Okay, because all three of them are going to be found as components in every one of these verses. First, we'll go to chapter one, verses five to seven who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's hope. In this you jo- rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, holiness, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Holiness. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. It's not a trick, it's holiness again. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, hardship, they may see your good deeds, holiness, and glorify God in the day of visitation. There's your hope. In chapter 3, verse 14 to 17, there's a lot of them in this this section. That's why I kept it all together. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed Future hope. Have no fear then, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Hope. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, Holiness may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer hardship for doing good if that should be God's will than for evil, for doing evil. Verse 19 of chapter 4. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, hope in trusting our souls to him, that's our hope, while doing good. Holiness. Chapter 5, verse 8 to 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Hardship, resist him, firm in your faith. Resisting him, holiness, and hope. Eh, it's a hard, hard to sort that one. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. God is in charge. God rules. Holiness through hardship in hope. Now, you may have caught in chapter 1, verse 6, suffering, greed by various trials, if it's necessary. That's necessary. Why is it that suffering and trials is necessary? Chapter 3, verse 17, suffering for doing good might be God's will. Chapter 4, verse 19, injustice is the will of the God of justice. How can that be? If God is just, why injustice? Why does God do this? Verse Nine, the same kinds of suffering are being endured by Christians all around the world. Well, then, where is God? If this is rampant, does God not care? Doesn't it say that to him be the dominion forever and ever? Why suffering in our present experience? Why is it like this? I want to read from a, um, um, an excerpt that I pulled out of a, a book I just bought and just read. It's called Fool's Talk. It's a good book for a preacher, isn't it? It's by Oz Guinness, and I've given you the reference there. It's on the back of your uh, insert. I wanted you to have this and take this with you. The cross I have an object lesson for this. Better get that out. There we are. The cross, Martin Luther wrote, was the devil's Mousetrap. The devil smelled cheese, and then wham, felt steel. The cross is the devil's mousetrap. Think about that. Everything that climaxed in that sultry Passover week was spring-loaded with a deeper history-shaking truth, although under disguise so strange that it bewildered even the closest and most ardent followers of Jesus. And the devil himself fell for the smell of the cheese. Just so did God shame the world's folly, subvert the world's pride, and put to death death, and put death to death through the death of his son. And the sober truth is surely that this was the way, the only way that it had to be done. There was no other way. God is always able to respond to sin and defiance with power. Yes, he could. He could do that today. He could do it for you. From the Garden of Eden and the Tower of Babylon, God countered all the pride and evil of human imagination and set boundaries to contain all the defiance against him and the order of his creation. Power, however, usually overcomes by destroying what defies it. Thus, as Niebuhr insisted, there is a limit to what even the power of God can do as power alone, for such power does not reach the heart of the rebel. Power can fence us in but only sacrificial love can find us out. Power can win when we are ranged against it, but it cannot win us. Such is the hard, tenacious, willful, festering core of sin at the heart of each one of us, that only the equally deliberate, tenacious love disguised in the absurd powerlessness, shame, pain, loneliness, and desolation of the cross, all for us, could reach us and subvert us. There's no other way. It takes the full folly and weakness of the cross to find us out and win us back. Peter will have much to say about what we do. He'll have much to say about what we go through. But putting that all in perspective, what is it for? What is it all about? It's all in hope of what God is doing today for our future. God is working all of these things in present to remind us that this in the present is for his future purpose that has to work this way. There is no other way. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look, not at the things which are seen, We haven't seen it yet. That's hope. Hope is the assurance of things hoped for, or rather faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We haven't seen it yet. But we hope. Our confident expectation, not a hope so, but a confident expectation that is based upon God's promise. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, temporary, Like a mist or a vapor passing away. But the things which are unseen yet are eternal. Romans chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God is working. This is his business. This is what he's about. And God is accomplishing his purpose. A grain of sand gets under the skin of an oyster. Well, does an oyster have skin? They have a shell, and it gets inside the shell, into the hard, into the soft spot. And it's a hard grain of sand, and it's rough. And so the oyster begins to make a pearl. It's out of that little grit, out of that difficulty that the pearl is born. Carbon, subject to temperatures up to 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, and up to great pressures of 800,000 pounds per square inch, carbon is transformed into a diamond. That's what it takes. That's how they're made. Why hardship? Why suffering? If God is in control, he could take us all home. But he's not done yet. The road that we are on, which is the glory of Jesus himself being formed and perfected in us, is reached by a bumpy road. That's what God is doing in the present time. The circumstances that you will find yourself in, the circumstances you already find us in, these are the ground in which holiness can grow in hope. And the best way for holiness to grow is in hope. So one of the things that that Peter sets before us, and one of the things he's going to remind us of over and over and over again, is our hope in Christ. the, The assurance of our future. That confident expectation that is based on God's promise, that is set before us, that we must not lose sight of. If we lose sight of the hope set before us, we will easily be overwhelmed by the troubles that surround us. All right? If we lose lose sight of the hope set before us, we will easily be overwhelmed by the troubles that surround us. Because they are many. You know that as well as I do. Peter is going to press us. How will we feed our hope? How will you feed your hope? If hope is essential for holiness to grow in the midst of this hard ground, how will we feed our hope? One of the things he'll tell us is desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's going to talk to us about our devotion time. He's going to talk to us about our worship together. Let me put this before you in closing. Why do unjust sufferings purify gold, make diamonds, produce glory? It is there in willing suffering for others, there that we are nearest to Jesus. We could duck, we could dodge, we could choose a smoother road. But it's the road of hardship chosen, not merely because it's hard, but hardship that's chosen for the sake of another. There is where we will find ourselves nearest to our Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us. Hebrews chapter 12 opens this way. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the author and finisher, the one who has gone before and brings us along, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I put that verse slightly differently, I think, on your notes. An alternate translation that just, it just kind of struck a chord for me. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, there is his hope, endured the cross, hardship, making light of its disgrace, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Peter will help us how to make light of present disgrace for the sake of Christ, in pursuit of his glory. Father, there are troubles, Lord, in, that are represented in the room this morning. There's hardship, some of which I know about and much that I don't. But Lord, I, I lift our body together. This family I lift before you. Lord, we ask for your grace and mercy. We don't ask to escape every trouble. Lord, we do pray that you would protect us in the midst of them. But Father, we pray that you would be our refuge, our shelter. That as that psalm said, that you would not only be near, you would be a very present help in time time of trouble. Lord, that even in our worship now, again, we would experience your presence in our midst, as well as lean our hearts upon your promise. Father, as we look into this book, as we hear your words as the church has for 2,000 years, Lord, would you feed our hope that your holiness might be worked in us. Father, that we would present not only our wealth in offering to you now, but Lord, that we would present our own lives because in hope we entrust ourselves to you. Lord, bless this offering in that way that this offering would be an offering not merely from us, but it would be an offering of us for your glory and for your working. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing with me, would you?